I'm absolutely thrilled um, for this podcast to introduce um, all of our listeners to to Mike Hurley. In in many ways, uh, Mike for me was one of the starting points of this um, kind of journey that I took um, around the mindsets for selling. Um, and it sort of coincided at a time that Mike took on a, a particularly senior role at Hewlett Packard, and Mike will introduce himself shortly, and uh, became a, an amazing collaboration over a number of years. And some great things were achieved by Mike and his team. And uh, really want to use this podcast to kind of surface um, some of the learnings uh, that we we took away from 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 that sort of interaction together. So, Mike, um, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, my pleasure. And I, yeah, and it, I think it would be great because part of the part of um, these podcasts is also sort of going back a little bit into uh, the background of the people, you know, where you know, in terms of their sort of early stage careers. So, I wonder if you could plot the journey for the listeners from sort of when you left school and how you ended up being in the management. I don't know if I can remember that far back. I'm very old, you know. No. Um, you certainly don't look it, Mike. You still look uh, sort of a young whippersnapper there. I I retired early. Um, So, so, yeah, so I I started life as as an apprentice engineer. Um, Started life working on um lathes and milling machines to man- manufacture uh bespoke uh bespoke equipment for the services so that was that's that's where okay. i started well that's something new i didn't realize that's where your career started that's where i started yeah um and then i went into uh part of that i got uh they decided that i'd, I'd probably be better in an office because i wasn't particularly good so uh they, they gave me a pen and a clipboard, uh, and they put me into something called work study. Okay. Now, work study was was something where you you actually looked at the methods that people adopted to do things in the office okay. and in on the factory floor, and your job was to try and improve and automate. So from that, um, being a young man at the time of twenty one, IBM had launched this thing called a personal computer. Yeah. Um, and I got an import before they were launched in the UK to to see if I could do something with it. And I became the, if you like, the resident expert in the firm that I worked on, okay. on personal computers. Okay. Okay. Um, and then I got offered a job at a company called Thorn EMI. Yeah. Um, and we made we made television sets. Actually, that was the, the manufacturing plant at Enfield. Yeah, and and I I my job was to automate things using personal computers, and um, I um, we I put in one of the first Ethernet networks in the UK with some other guys, um, and one day I was walking out to the car park with um, with the sales guy that had been in to see me. He'd sold me all the equipment, and uh, his car happened to be parked next to my car. And uh, as I got in my beaten up Ford Cortina, he got in his 911 Porsche. And okay. I said, blimey, I, that, I wouldn't mind one of those. He said, well, you need to, you need to go into sales, Mike. If you, want to, uh, if, you want, if you want to earn some money, he said, by the way, 
you know a lot more about IT than I do. So why don't why don't you get involved with sales? And and that was my start of my sales career, okay. really. Wow. You know, I've I've heard sort of similar stories. You know, I uh, I know Carl Day has been on, you know, on the podcast before, and and he shared a similar story of how he started off in a role a little bit similar to yours, and then, yeah, saw, you know, saw the cars in the car park and then decided that uh, that's, that's, that's right. Sales, yeah, you know, sales would be a, a you know better paid career, but um, so it's it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting sometimes to see the journey that people have taken. So that. You got involved in sales, so, so why don't you chart your sort of sales career? Then, well, when I own? when I when I started in sales, I was absolutely terrible, okay. awful, terrible salesman. So they, what uh, what made you say that? I mean, what made you say you're terrible? <laughs> well, I was terrified of cold calling when I first started, but okay. um, you know, it was one one of those one of those things, and um, I. Basically, I went to an, an initial sales school in the company that I joined, and um, and they said, "Look, what you got to do is you got to, at the time, collect compliment slips, walk around, collect compliment slips, ask a few questions, and then get back to the office and call up the the guy that you know the secretary, right. you know, and and make make all these phone, phone calls." And uh, I learned pretty quickly that um, that was really hard work. And yeah. And and selling isn't about hard work. It's about being smart in terms of the way you sell and okay. the things you do. So um, I I ended up um, working for uh, some some big companies uh, that I cold called because actually the best thing I thought I could do is probably sell myself to these big companies, and then I might okay. get some better education. So so I worked for computer center in the early days when they were very very okay. small and um i learned that what i had to do was really uh, uh, research customer before i called the customer and find out as much as i could about them right. not do loads and loads of phone calls meet my cold calling target uh, 100 calls a day will get you two appointments you know that's because that yeah. actually is a, that's that is a load of nonsense um what you've got to do is use the facilities available to you to research the customers you're going to call, yeah. identify some sort of mutual ground to have a discussion on, and then see if there's any need there. And um, so I learned to do that pretty within the first six months of me going into the, the career. Right. Uh, and then I started to be successful uh, in, in my selling. Um, and so really learning how to qualify before I spent time on anything was, was the, the key yeah. to to being reasonably successful. So I, I went to another company. It was a company called Panic Consultancy. They were one of the largest in London at the time, uh, quite successful there. I met a guy, um, lovely fellow called uh, John, John Allen, who okay. sat opposite me. And I said, why are we only taking... 15% of the margin as commission. Why don't we set our own business up and go and start a business, which we did. Okay. And we, it was called Bell and Watson Technology. Okay. Um, and we became, I think we were number 13 in the UK for IBM in terms of volume sales. And um, we did services and 
uh, as well, wow. uh, sort of basic services for, for customers. Um, so I went on that journey for a few years and um, didn't make a huge amount of money. Uh, there was a recession and all sorts of problems. Yeah. Um, so I sold the business um, as much of it as I could before the receivers got me and um, hmm. got a phone call from head of services of Europe from IBM who was one of my customers and said we're setting up an outsourcing business for desktops and because we don't really know about servicing desktops and you used to run a business would you join the management team and help us set yes. the organization up so that was 10 very happy years at IBM yeah um, lots and lots of good quality training um, negotiation training um, how to uh, identify and sell more qualification training you know that yeah. very very good sales school yeah yeah uh, which helped me tremendously um, won a few deals uh, while I was at IBM or well, more than a few uh, which got me a, a reputation as a quite a strong deal leader uh, in the industry, um, and then joined Hewlett Packard. I, I was at IBM for ten years. Then they asked me to to join them and help them set up their uh, outsourcing organisation, which is where I met you, Phil. Pretty pretty soon after I started. Pretty soon, yes. I think you. I think I'd already been working with Compaq and NHP and um was involved in in sort of various sales training programs with those two organizations and, and that's right i think it was um it was someone that introduced me to you at the time and i'm not quite sure whether you and your management team had identified by that time that there was a requirement to to do something different or, or whether it was a chance conversation we had, I can't remember the, you know, the, the, you know, where exactly where it started. So, okay, so it was William Mills that made the introduction to to both of, of us. Of course, yeah, William, um, yeah, William, William, William got together. So, um, had a when when I took over um, the sort of bid management activity at HP. Um, we were doing things pretty much cookie cutter, how you'd expect. Um, big companies have been doing for a long time. Um, but there was no sort of real flair and innovation um, in in the responses that we, we were offering to our customers. Um, very little upfront research was being done. Um, and I decided that I wanted to take the team on a journey to understand business rather than IT, but how business drives the need for IT and outsourcing. So that was that was the, the kind of thinking. And I was having a lot of difficulty trying to un get anyone to have that dialogue with me in terms of sales training. And then we had a conversation and you introduced me to your research Mm -hmm. um and um third box thinking yeah and i thought this is really what i'm trying to achieve in terms of getting some structured um training into the organization to to allow us to think differently and talk differently 
when we're engaging with the, the customer. Yeah. Um, so um, that, that right. was absolutely critical. Yeah. So, I mean, just to uh, discuss it also from my side, so just to, to give the listeners a, a chance to see how our two sort of lives came together at this particular point, is that I was doing a research study with HP's customers. I was interviewing them about what they wanted from salespeople. And I had begun to define a, um, a sort of a lens for looking at sales effectiveness through mindsets. And I think a lot of people that may be listening to this podcast will be familiar to them. And that the hypothesis was, because the doctorate was not finished when I met Mike, the hypothesis was if you are able to embed a sales team with a specific set of minds, mindsets according to what customers wanted, that it would actually lead to some kind of sales success. And two of the mindsets were proactive creativity and tactful audacity. And this, this, these two words pr probably resonated a little with this need to do something slightly different, slightly creative. Yep. And so, you know, Mike had a need, uh, in a way, to transform the mindset, I think, of the team with some amazing frameworks and tools as well. You mentioned Thirdbox Thinking, which um, our partners in the USA had, 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 had also kind of developed the summit group. And, um, and so the, the, these two sort of things came together. But... You know, it was um at that stage it was unproven, and I think William had sort of seen a glimpse of it on that training course that he talked to you about, but that was before HP had bought Compaq. You know, that had uh, that you know that I think that was in a previous life of, of of Williams. But so you had two people, you and me, having this discussion right at the very early stage. You with, I think, a really big idea um, to do something different. Um, supported by a company that was massive, but had so so little experience in managed services because the competitive well, landscape, zero. It was zero, zero wasn't experience. it? Absolutely zero experience, and so you know there was a huge amount of risk associated with what you were doing, Mike, and the fact that you were also engaging with us with a yet unproven concept. But I think, um, you know, so I, I you know, so, so, so I think that speaks a little bit to the sort of entrepreneurial approach and mindset that you've naturally had through the building of your own business and the way that you've gone about your sort of early career, sort of coming now into this corporate world um, and being prepared to take a risk on it. But I think you had quite a lot of support from the management team to do something different. Well, I had a lot of support and a lot of resistance from various different parts okay. of the business, depending on 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 who. But okay. uh, I think it's important to add that the it was the coming together for me of our two the two philosophies. So it was the philosophy that you were you were investigating within your organisation in terms of customer centricity, egocentricity, uh, creative. Um, uh, tactful audacity and, and yeah. yeah so so the these sort of sort of key things and then my before i met you in terms of what i was putting together i was putting together the basics 
from, if you recall, Sun Tzu. Oh, yes, of course. Oh, yes, yeah, so that's yes. great. Yeah, that's so, right. so bringing, yeah, the, bringing these two things together, Gosh, along with some other thing. elements, w yeah. was, you know, so you learn to fight, show the way, do it right, know the facts, expect the worst. All of these kind of things which are in, embodied within Sun Tzu, yeah. With the discipline of bringing in what you were offering from your yeah, side, yeah. Yeah, was yeah. very. it became a very unique uh, combination, yeah, yeah. which was excellent for the business. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, we had, in terms of, you know, what we probably refer to as the Mavericks, I mean, the, yes, my, the Mavericks. <laughs> my uh, closest, closest friend and colleague, uh, in the business uh, was Alan Coffey, a man that yeah. I actually miss very much. He taught me a tremendous amount um, yeah. of the things that he knew. And, and he was a very insightful man and he could always, he taught me to read the things that you can't see really within, okay. within an, a, a deal. Uh, I remember one of the conversations was, had, has anyone ever seen a black hole? No, but how do you know it's there, right? You've got to look at all the things that are going on around, around the black hole. And he's, he taught me how to sort of use, use that, that kind of insight. But we were lucky because we had a, a, a boss yeah. uh, called Mar Martin Cordingly, yeah. who, 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 lovely man, hadn't got a clue how to manage us. Really didn't, really couldn't lock us down. You know, it was, uh, yeah. it was, it was, trying to manage us was, as he says, is try, trying to um, nail a blamange to the wall. It's just impossible. So he, he let us go and do, do what we wanted to do. And he ran uh, rear guard action from the execs for okay. us, the, the, the board, basically, the European board, which is a guy, uh, a guy who really let us get away with it. And, and again, uh, a nightmare at the time, but actually a very nice man. Pablo Sanchez Lozano was was our right. sort of big senior senior VP who was who was running the business, um, and I think he was uh, quietly very happy. Uh, although if you had, he always told us off, but I'm sure he was very happy. Um, so, so so yeah, so that was that. Those were group group of people. Kelly DeCourty, you know, is worth a mention in there. Yeah. But you know, sort of opened up a, a thinking to it all and. Uh, you know, various different uh, people. And William as well really responded well to it all. So yeah. you know, there there was a a, a, a sort of uh, a very sort of uh, collegiate group of people that that were prepared to stick their necks out a little bit and get the job done. So yeah, yeah, excellent. I think looking, good fun. Looking, I mean, the the kind of lessons, I guess, you know, if we it's sort of reflecting about the starting point, you know, was was about um, stakeholder management and stakeholder support, you know, because without that, I think it would have been almost it would have been impossible, I think, to have done the things that yeah. you've done. And it makes me sort of come back to some of the frameworks. Though we, we didn't consciously follow sort of Cotter's guiding coalition, but what you've just described is you had a, a sort of core of individuals. You had Alan, Kelly, you know, Martin, yourself, William, and possibly one or two others that came in, like Begita and, and oh, Begita, she she got yeah, she came in and she breath of fresh air, totally yeah. thinks outside the box. I know she came she came a little bit later into the situation, a bit later and, she did. and again yeah. at the 
the the flair and creativity around commercial the commercial models and the insights to it yeah. just uh, incredibly incredibly bright person incredibly yeah. bright person yeah. added so much to it and added so much so yeah, yeah i i think that's great and uh, funnily enough mike and i thought of you uh the other day because i found myself in in uh, woodstock and i don't know if you remember I do. But the very, very first <laughs> workshop that we did together with, uh, I think it was Network Rail, you know, that was that was the very first one we did. And, you know, it's funny because I was in Woodstock with my wife and I said, I said to my wife, I said to my wife, I've been here before. And she said, not with me. <laughs> <laughs> it was me. <laughs> <laughs> I went trying to wrap my brain and said, I know I've been here before. And then, it, I, I, then of course, you wanted to go off site. You wanted to bring, you know, the team together for this very first pilot, uh, which uh, was Network Rail, where we could start to test out some of the ideas and the thinking in in the, the training workshop. But um, yeah, it was the the, the Prince of Wales we stayed in, which was you know. The five hundred year year old pub that was falling down. I remember it very well. I couldn't sleep. <laughs> yeah, I know. The, man, the budget wasn't too high because I think that no. it looked nice from the outside. <laughs> it still does, actually, Mike. Yeah, I was, I was, yeah. very good, very good. So, so yeah. So sorry, I just mentioned that because it was a, it was a sort of realizing that we were going to have this podcast shortly afterwards. It was it was it was just quite nice to go back and see where where that first event started which was the first wvp workshop that we ran i believe yeah so you you were asking about lessons and um yeah that's right so um i think what i i think again for the listener could you explain the sort of size of deals that you were working on because i think for for some sure you know, it's difficult to sort of grasp quite the magnitude of the opportunities that uh, that were involved. So probably the smallest deal that we were working on at the time was $50 million, US dollars. Yeah. Um, some of them were over a billion US dollars. Um, yeah. The Some of the biggest deals have, have, have been um, core deal, Deals of around one and a half billion euros was one I did recently. Yeah. Well, my last big deal, uh, but that had a whole plethora of deals hanging off of it, which sort of brought it up to the sort of several billion mark. Okay. Um, so that's the kind. An average deal was about one hundred and fifty to two hundred million uh, US yeah. dollars. I would I would suggest that's the kind of yeah. size. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, you know the bid budgets on these deals were a, a million to two million dollars. So you're talking yeah. a big, and the, and they can take anywhere from nine nine months to two years to to bring home. I mean, this is a, yeah. these are, these are big undertakings. You know, forty to eighty people working on these deals. You know, these are yeah. a big complex um, things we're talking right. about. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, yeah, the scale of the deals and the complexity of the deals and the risk associated with winning or not winning, because, you know, the worst 
the worst kind of deal to lose is the one where you come second, isn't it? Because you, you're taken right up to that end point. That's right. Yeah. yeah, and incurred all the pre-sales costs involved in doing that. But then to, to fail at the last point is is painful, both commercially as well as the emotional kind of attachment you get, you know, from the team into wanting to win these deals. You know, well, it, well you do. Yeah. You really, when you're on these deals, you, you really bond as a group. And uh, yeah. you, you make very deep friendships within yeah. within those 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 deal teams. And you know, years later, you can make a phone call and those people will be there, you know. So that's... Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's, it's a wonderful experience. Okay. So, so, you know, these are the size of the deals. So lessons learned, Mike. What, what, what for you were some of the highs and the, well, you know, the great lessons you think you learned that you got? And also what for you were some of the highs, some of the lows, or what would have been some of the most fun deals you've worked on and perhaps had, what made it fun? Well, most of them have been fun, actually, You've, because if, you, if you're going to be with people for so long, you have to make it fun. It's, it's absolutely uh, imperative that people smile yeah. every day. A lot of hard work. Um, I guess um, the most disappointing deal that we, that we did was uh, a big, a big um, European, I'll, I'll make it non-specific, yes. bank in the early days where we yeah. knew exactly exactly what we needed to do to win um and the the board wouldn't give us the leverage to do it on sign off um, is this the board you meaning hp at the time the we're, we're talking hp here yeah, yeah so oh, the I HP. See. so it's hp's decision not to go ahead it was hp's decision to really come out come out the deal uh and not offer uh, the customer okay. exactly what we could what have offered okay yeah. So um, that that biggest disappointment, lessons learned. Probably wouldn't have asked the board for permission next time. Okay. <laughs> um, presumably, you had risk committees, didn't you? I mean, we, we had process you have to go through in order to get these deals through. But you you, you do. But um, there's the, the thing is when you're doing deals that the shape of a deal after a negotiation is nothing like. The shape of a deal before you go into the negotiation. Well, so that's that's probably a bit of an, an extreme. It changes significantly from the start of a negotiation to the end of a negotiation. Yeah, right. Typically, when you're running big uh, responses to complex documents, procurement and and a few technical people, they'll put a an RFP together. Yeah. And it's and it's a it, a lot of it's very generic. There's a lot of information missing, and it's. It's big, and the idea when you get an RFP is um, that they're not selecting people; they're deselecting people when you get an RFP. So it's not okay. a it, it's not a it's a deselection process at the beginning, okay. and then you go into the next phase, which is BAFO, and you're still bidding based on uh, a, a basic requirement that they've put together in an RFP. So you then put BAFO, and then you're into selection of right. maybe two two from three or two from four. And then okay. you take two into negotiation. And when you get into negotiation, that's when all the specifics start to come onto the table and actually you can shape the deal. So it's a little bit like uh, when you get a builder and he gives you a quote and um, uh, then you start asking for extras afterwards. Okay. okay. It's not quite as 
you know, you have to be very specific and help the customer understand uh, where the deviation is from the original request. Uh, and it's important to get that that right in, yeah. in, in a very collaborative way with the customer. But um, in the last part of the deal, everything changes. And, and a lesson learned, by the way, is in that process, things are changing for a reason. And the reason things change is because the competition that you're bidding against is coming up with some really good ideas. Okay. Okay. So it changes the, the 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 ground that you're on constantly. So one of the lessons learned is you need to be the one that's in competition that's coming up with all the good ideas that wow. then backfoots your competition. And okay. and so when you get to the the, 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 the winning post, if you like, yeah. you've got lots of these ideas left in your in your back pocket in case okay. the uh, the competition try and backfoot you. Okay. So you know, so that's a you know quite a key, key yeah, lesson yeah. learned. Yeah. But I guess the uh, sort of lessons from from that particular one was we should have really uh, in the qualification phase set the expectation of what we needed to do in order to win, in order that our executive committee uh, bought into the situation. Okay. Okay. Is that is that more an internal pitch? You're, you're yeah. That? Yeah. Ma okay. Managing managing the, your internal stakeholders is as important as managing your customer stakeholders. Yeah. Okay. Um, especially on big deals uh, or anything that deviates in any way from standard operating procedure within an organisation. Um, you know, you really have to get all the key people lined up and on board within your own organization absolutely yeah. essential uh and lesson learned from that was um i mean i whimsically said I probably wouldn't have told them but um i probably would have told them when i was certain of the, of the shape of the deal rather than telling yeah. them sort of it towards the end of it uh towards the middle of it um and lesson learned really stringently managing the stakeholder communication all the way through the deal to make sure there's no surprises right. for them. Yeah. So critical on, on that that one. So that was the deal that we won that we lost. Okay. The cust customer wanted us, but we but we decided not to go ahead. In fact, it's the only it's the only deal that I've earned a bonus on that I didn't actually sign. So you know. Oh wow! Uh, you still got so the bonus. The, okay. the company the company recognised their position and they gave us a they gave us a bonus. It was a token, but okay. it was a gesture. So. Well, that's I mean that's interesting because that speaks a lot to the values of Hewlett Packard because not every company would do that, as you no. probably found out in your career. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm certainly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, other lessons learnt. Um, so. Um, it's a good one. Uh, so we did a deal with um, a mining company. Yeah. I think this uh, one might be published, Mike, so you could mention is the it? name. Okay, so Ang Anglo-American. Yeah. <laughs> Anglo-American. Yeah. So as long as it's public, that's that's fine. It so we did in the public domain and, um, yeah, uh, you know, I've quoted it in the book, Selling Transformed. Um, fine. So, yeah, made sure that it's pu it was publicly available information. So Anglo-American, um, 
how how could we differentiate ourselves against the competition? Well, what what I decided would be a good thing to do would be to send my team to South Africa. Yeah. Uh, hire hire a plane. No, yeah. no, mining strips have got their own air airfields. So okay. Uh, and basically send them round to all the mines to talk to the the, the mine okay. bosses rather than these these IT people that were try trying right. to do business with us. Yeah. So we so we did that, and we found out that what was the what was the thing that that we were really dealing with. Well, we the 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 communications infrastructure was all satellite driven. Every time they tried to lay copper or fiber to communicate the the locals would rip it up and sell it on the black market so that wasn't so part so our, so our technology solution had to sort of accommodate satellite or line of sight okay so that was that was one aspect to it the other aspect to it really was that their biggest worry was safety yeah yeah um and knowing where everybody was in the mine at any yeah. one point in time was critical. Yeah. So um, having uh, basically we we realised that, and as as part of the solution, we sold them an RFID tag solution as yeah, part yeah. Of, of which which they wanted, and that was abs- that was the thing that sort of swung the deal. Really, it was the thinking outside the box, understanding. Yeah. The third box, what was the, what the issues were with yeah, what they yeah. were trying to achieve, uh, and, and again a fantastic learning experience in terms of seeing yeah. how that worked and the power of that that uh, that journey that we did with the customer. Yeah. So I think I think what was really kind of extraordinary about that story as well is that I understand there wasn't um, an account manager responsible for Anglo American because. You know, whilst HP was dealing with this account um, in many countries, it wasn't deemed sort of big enough, I think, to warrant a, a GAD, you know, type person. And I think when the RFP came in, I think it sort of came in, was it by a fax machine or something at the time? <laughs> but there wasn't yeah. someone they could send it to. So what you did with this account and you, and you talk, uh, was transform a, a situation where there was no relationship into one where you won this deal it was actually done in an extraordinary quick time wasn't it mike because i think the sell cycle on that particular deal was something mm. like seven or eight months well it, it was be, because we were um and alan in particular used his phrase uh, a column fudger which is the stalking holes that's brought in to beat ibm down with that's that's how we were brought we were brought into it as that um, yes that's right so and you we missed them. Yeah, you really challenged them on that as well. You know, you you wanted to test. You know, are they serious about wanting to get HP to take part? And uh, yeah, and I think that your description of hiring planes. I mean, how many how many people managing deals would suggest that in order to get to understand the customer, you know, customer centricity angle. Would actually, you can go and hire a plane and go visit the GMs. You know, I mean, this is part of you know being bold and being courageous and sort of. But you wouldn't have done that, Mike. I don't think, unless you'd felt that the relationship, even though you are from a 
a standstill compared to, I think it was T-Systems that were in that account um, that you won the deal from, um, unless you felt there was a genuine interest in HP having a good shot at winning. Well, I think think if you looked at the qualification framework that we put together for the deal, um, we would have qualified out of the deal at the beginning. Yes, that's right. Yeah. But we but we said if the customer commits to getting to know us and allows us to get to know the customer in a yeah. sincere in a sincere way we'll bid. And that was that was our condition for bidding. Yeah. So they they agreed to it. And and yeah. that that was the that was us then leveraging to get out to the mines with yeah. this with it with the aeroplane. Yeah. And that yeah. was, you know, that was pretty key to the the, the whole it was. the whole thing. Yeah, I, think I had a bit of a bit of a problem claiming it back on my expenses, but uh, it was. <laughs> well, maybe Martin Cordingly had something to do with that, or Alan. Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah. But uh, no, but it's a great. I, mean, I think one of the things when we started to talk about, you know, the general approach, and 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 it goes right back to your early days of researching your customer. And I remember that, you know, we, we, we asked ourselves the question, how can we fast track getting to know the customers? And we came upon this idea of, of maybe contacting the analysts. Do you remember? The, and, and then we would Absolutely. phone up the analysts. And these are people who talk to the board level of these very large companies on a very frequent basis. They know them. They know the team members. They watch the share price daily, probably hourly. They are really in tune with the levers that these companies need to rely on. And I think it was, you know, for me, again, it was extraordinary, actually, you know, you saying to me, Phil, it's okay for you to go and bring some of these people into the workshops that we ran uh, because it was a cost. You know, sometimes we sometimes we would offer to put some money into a charity that they supported. You That's know, right. In yeah, order to get their buy-in. So, yep. you know, the playbook, we're making up the playbook as we went along. but. It was like gold dust, some of the insights that we got. And I remember the ADECO deal in particular. I don't know if you were personally there involved in that one, but I remember the insights we got from the analyst for ADECO, which was, it wasn't about the third box actually for ADECO. It was about the first box actually getting the supply chain into ADECO at the time. And that then completely sort of shifted the positioning of the deal, which again was was one of the deals that was won over in France, I think, by the French team. Yeah. But these analysts, you see, you've got research now. We've got the, you know, we've got tools to get data, but there was something about someone in person talking at these events, talking about people who had personal relationships with sometimes the customer's key decision makers, that I think also took things onto a, a really high standard of trying to to get to understand the customer you 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 can a lot of the research that we used to do we'd 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 do the the general sort of research on you know what's the PL like how, how they invested yeah. what's their customer base what, what they're what they're trying to do what they say so you'd get that and then you'd get a level of you know operational we're trying to achieve this etc that any any research tool, including you know the the AI tools that are available now, the Chat GPT yeah. and, and whatever else, although they're slightly outdated, but um, 
don't give you the the insight enough insight to enable you to win the deal okay right. at the end of the day it's about people hmm. Pe- people have agendas everyone's got an agenda okay yeah. they have a personal agenda and they have a business agenda and you have to get into understanding things like where the person is in their career what their aspirations how, how is this the first time that they've run a big deal like this from yeah. this so, yeah, there's a whole raft of interpersonal activity that needs to be taken into account when you're putting a campaign strategy together it's absolutely critical and key that the human aspect is is put in place because if a customer likes you and wants you to win chances are you will okay Uh, and that goes beyond every element of the rfp being right being measured 100 percent in your favor okay so you know there's the people have always got a uh, an unconscious bias to 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 everything and and part of the research you need to do is to uncover where the unconscious bias is where the personal agenda is the self-interest agenda in fact when i did my master's degree most of the my project was about self-interest within yeah within the corporate environment and how that changes the dynamics of things so you have to understand what they are and and how that plays into doing mm. the deal critical yeah no i, th- I think that's, that's that's really interesting I just want to, um, before, because you mentioned the masters, and just maybe before coming back to that point, I just want to share with the, the listeners the um, uh, the kind of results that were achieved over a period of time. Because you know, you set up the managed services team with Alan and Martin and, and the others, and from scratch, you know, HP had uh, no market share. Um, and I know that in the time that w- that we worked with you, we worked on twenty odd deals, some of which were qualified out, and some of which, uh, some of which we qualified in. And I was lucky enough and privileged enough to have been associated with some some of those deals. Sometimes quite a bit, sometimes a little. But over a period of about two to three years, maybe slightly longer. Um, the market share that was achieved by HP, and we and we measured this using T, uh, was it TPI data, and yeah. um, and we got brand finance involved. You know, again to look at the business impact of of, of went from zero to about seven point nine percent in a market that was hugely dominated by um, was it EBD? EDS, 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 CSC, IBM, yeah, Accenture. So, um, and you, uh, and the, you know, the close rates went from, I think it was one in 15 to 70% close rate and the value is in the billions as we, as we've got. So for me, I don't think I've ever seen, um, an organization achieve so much impact over a relatively short space of time. Um, and, you know, being lucky enough to have been involved in the control groups of, you know, there was West, there was Western Europe, your team, and we were sort of comparing and contrasting the deals one, you know, one and the other side of the organization, um, as well. So it, it, it can sort of, I think, completely validated your approach. And it also supported the importance of the mindsets that, that came out of the doctorate and, the, you know, the frameworks that were being used. 
Well, uh, I'll, I'll let me underpin that with some some data. Um, okay, and, and, thank you. And the, and the approach. So, um, I gave all of my people a choice: either to go down the the value proposition route, or the WVP as we called it at the time, or to to continue bidding based on old mindset and, and old thinking. Okay. okay. So um, at the time, there, there were twenty-one deals that we looked at, yeah. 11 of the deal leads decided that they didn't want anything to do with this new rubbish that we were talking about. <laughs> and 10, 10, 10 decided to go that route. Um, right. So we had a fairly even split. So this is a, you know, quite a, quite a good control group. Okay. So out of the 10, the, the, the ones that decided to go with the new thinking, we lost three of those deals and we won seven of those deals. Yeah. So 70%, which was your yeah. number earlier on. And the value of the lost deal was, was three, 341 million. Yeah, they're quite small, wasn't it? Yeah. Compared with 4.355 billion yeah. on the deals that we won. Yeah. Okay. So you can okay. see there was quite a skew towards the big deals anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those poor people that decided not to take the advice of Uncle Mike yeah <laughs> there was there was 11 deals and they lost eight and they won three so it was a 27 percent win rate yeah. and um which was fairly standard for reported numbers for the business yeah and i'm reported numbers okay yeah the value of the deals that they lost was 1.6 billion right and the value of the deals that they won was 245 million. Yeah. Okay. So there's for the same investment for the organization. Yeah. On terms of bid budgets, the non WVP 245, the value of the one deal is 4355, 4 billion. So, you know, yeah. 95% more. Yeah. No, it's extraordinary. Just, uh, just shows. I mean, similar opportunities, similar markets, similar, you know, people with similar backgrounds, but you've got two completely different approaches. It's, you know, that's that's I think what became clear is the importance of having the right mindset. It's, it's not just the mind. You know, it's the ecosystem. It's the stakeholders. It's the there's there's a lot that goes into it, but. It's just you know it's a bit like, a bit like the English cricket team, you know, or the lionesses as well. You know, you can just see the mindsets, you see their determination to win, the creativity, the agility that they they shared. So for me, it's it's a complete endorsement of having the right mindset. But let oh sorry, did you want to say something? No, I was I was just going to underpin. I mean, you know, uh, our heroic ladies. Um, yeah. You, what struck me, obviously everybody loves to win, and nobody likes yeah. to lose, but they hated losing. Yeah. They hated to lose. They absolutely yeah, yeah. could see yeah, yeah. that by their whole demeanour when they yeah. came back that they they just they were they were almost mourning, you know, almost bereaved. Yeah, yeah. It was it was you know really really terrible for them. Yeah. But anyway, that's just. But that's uh, going to spur them on, you know, because they they've got um, 
the mindset because I think you know just just in the same way that perhaps you weren't as successful with your first business you know that you ran in IT you learn from these uh you know these experiences and you know with that um growth mindset as Carol Dweck has kind of coined the term you just know that 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 they are winners they lost the final but you just you know their their mindset is absolutely exactly exactly yeah they will pick themselves up they will take the learning on board and they will do what they can to win next time you know that winning mindset is always going to be there and i i think that you know that was very relevant uh, you know for you i think as well you wanted to win these deals you did everything you could to win them and it and that sort of tenacity and resilience sort of showed itself in the way that the teams worked. But can I, uh, you mentioned the masters and of course I was doing the doctorate at the time yeah. uh, as this was going on. And, you know, I remember you saying, you know, you know, could we contemplate doing a masters here at HP? And, you know, you completely threw me when you sort of, brought that topic up because you know most salespeople at the time i think it's changing now <laughs> would would look at academia and say it's too academic it's not practical but but you again sort of started an an initiative which was to create a masters for the bid teams that you were working with so i wonder if you could just explain you know the why why did you do that and you know, what did you see some of the benefits from doing it? Okay, so um, the the objective of looking at some very talented individuals that worked within the, the, the sort of framework that we had, uh, looking at their capability, the, the, what you often find with salespeople uh, is they're frightened to work from the top of the business down into the operational aspects of the business. They always come in at the operational level and try and work their way up. Okay. okay. So for me, that's, I've, I've never worked like that, and that's always been wrong. But, the, but not everybody has got the, the, the buckets of confidence that I've got, and they need to yeah. be able to um, converse and feel that they're entitled to be in, in the boardroom, okay? Right. So, so it was important to create that, that confidence um, within the team. So I looked at uh, MBAs um, mm. and decided that an MBA really wasn't suitable for what I was trying to, trying to achieve. I wanted selling, in essence, is about change. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you are presenting a new paradigm to a customer, whether it's a, I don't know, a, a car with latest technology or whatever you're trying to, you're, you're presenting change and a change right. solution to, to the yeah. customer. So uh, I wanted them to understand, you know, the mechanics of a business, which is your MBA. That gives you what, what, you know, how all the cogs fit together and how it all works and everything. But we needed to create a, a degree that um, allowed them to understand change, to the, yeah. the, 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 the dynamics, the psychology of change, the way change operates, yeah, yeah. the things you have to, et cetera, et cetera. So literally, 
you know, that was my first question to you. Oh, you're doing a doctorate. That's really interesting. Tell me about it. Um, And then you introduced me to um, To Anna. Anna. At the business school. Lovely Anna. Lovely Anna. Lovely Anna. And, um, And we talked about it. And we collectively created something. I put them, if you remember, I put a load of modules together and elements yeah. and, and yeah, yeah. of what you know including things like negotiation and um and change management and or and hr and all this sort of thing um and we created together the three of us this degree which are now has gone stellar and m- multiple different places thanks to the the work that you've done and and other people but um you know we we created this and and we put people through through this degree i'm proud to say i was the first person to go through yeah. it and i still yeah. still dine out on the facts and tell people i was the first person to get a degree in sales because i beat you <laughs> on your doctorate so there you go yeah, so uh, you, you were and i think what what i found amazing because i you know i i was not sure frankly how you know particularly seasoned salespeople you know, like yourself and the others, would actually undertake this kind of academic journey. I mean, it was academic, but it's very practical. I think that was a beauty about about the way you designed it with Anna, and uh, and it was relevant. And I think I think that that certainly gave me a lot of confidence that there was a role to play in this whole sales sales education. Um, process and it, it it sort of led to what is now the msc and leading sales transformation and key account transformation and sales transformation um and of course we now have the apprenticeships which have taken everything on to a completely new level but um it was you know working with the universities you realize how complicated it is to get these programs established <laughs> and so uh yeah so again it was a massive learning journey for us to 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 kind of explore that and uh and you know sort of ending up now where we we have so much experience of of, of doing this kind of thing but no it's amazing and uh yeah i think there's a lot of people out there who've now got um, not only masters mike we've actually got people doing doctorates as well so in sales so and writing books <laughs> that's, that's excellent it is anyway uh, i think we're probably come, coming to the end of the podcast and uh i okay. just want to, i just really want to thank you and um thank you for giving us your time and also probably having to dust off your memory a bit of the memory to to recount some of those uh, amazing times we had together. Um, yeah, I had to go through the presentation that we did years ago to, rem- to remember to some remind. of the stuff. But I like those numbers, for instance, earlier. I thought, oh, I can't remember the numbers now. Yeah, but there you are. Know. That's that's what happens when you get into your 60s, isn't it? Yeah. What can I say? Okay. Um, it's Well, it's been a pleasure for me to sort of go over those old memories with you. And, yeah. um, Thank you, you know, Mike. And, and, perhaps help with uh, other people thank you